Good morning, good morning, good morning. I'm gonna dive right into this. Um, I'm excited about this message. It's kind of a lot and it's been burning in my heart for several months now. I've kind of had this thing and started off with our youth kind of touching on this a little bit a few months back and then I've just kind of let it marinate in my heart for a while and this opportunity, it feels like a word for right now for this season where we are in America, maybe the whole world, but for sure as the body of Christ, I feel like a real essential piece in, in this moment right now that matters because what we're seeing all around us can have you respond in a, in a multitude of different ways as you look at the world. And how many of you are looking at the world right now? Like three of you? Come on, come on, I need, res I, I'm a youth pastor, come on. Put your hands up and respond, huh? Anyway, all right. How many of you are looking at what's happening in the world right now? Yeah, I mean, it's, and it could be crazy and it could drive you nuts, it could make you depressed, it could make you hopeful, it could make you excited, it could make you scared. It, like, every possible emotional response could come out of what we're seeing in the world right now. You might be going, oh, this is the end times, this, you know, let's get ready for it and ride this wave, it's gonna be great. You might be going, well, I don't know, things are shaking, things are rough, like whatever. But I think it's really important that we are looking and it is really important that we are seeing, but I think it's really, really important that we're seeing rightly in this season. So I titled today, they needed a title on this, is do you see what I see? Kind of a question from God's heart to the church right now is are, like, yes, we're seeing, and I think that's important, right? Valuing the ability to see, period, is really good, but that's one piece of it. What's maybe more important is what you see affects your everyday life. Without question, what you observe and what you see, to, an, to a certain extent, what you behold is what you become. There's an effect of everything you see that comes in and adds to your life and dictates some of and has an absolute effect on your daily life. Um, we see this in Luke 11. I totally had the wrong reference in first service. I should just do in youth. Let me just disclaimer this. I just say, it is written, because that was good enough for Jesus. So I'm like, it is written, you can find it, okay? That's all Jesus ever said, right? So it counts. So, um, but in Luke 11, 33, I had the wrong reference, but the right verse in first service, it says, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you is to be the light that comes from you. If what you see, what you withhold or behold is light and full of light. It brings light into you and makes you actually, like Charles Brooks, glow as though a light is shining on you, but it's not a light shining on you. It's a light shining from you, which is a really amazing reality. Now here becomes a question. There's all kinds of things that we see that we can't help that we see because we're living in a world that's like bombarded with media and imagery and all this and news and everything. Like, what do you do when you can't help but see things that don't feel like light? And I think that poses the great big question is the third, it's one thing to see things. It's one thing to know that what you see affects you. The third one and most important is 
how you see it. And I think it's actually different from what you see is you can look at things that are really dark and in a, a way with cooperation with the Holy Spirit, you can see and receive light even when you're looking at a dark situation because your source is not your situation. It's the one who gives you light. Does that make sense? So we see this light come into play in a big piece in one of my favorite passages of scripture. I love this. I've been you know, brewing on this one a lot lately. I think I even shared part of it with communion last week because it's just what's in there right now. It's John 1.1. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then it switches the language a little bit in this next verse and says, he was with God in the beginning. And you start to go like, wait, there was the word. But then it's like, but he, and you have to understand, most of you know this already, but it's really important to understand that the word and he are synonymous in this entire passage. And John is speaking to this. And I'm gonna like bookmark this a little bit. Just recently, I was shared this piece of information that's fascinating. And maybe a lot of you already know this, but it had never caught me and all this stuff is that John wrote the gospel of John, not before, but after he wrote the book of Revelation chronologically. So we know that John had an open envision, open encounter with the glorified Christ in all his heavenly glory, wrote all the book of Revelation, and after that recounted his entire time with Christ under a different context that might change some things when you go like, oh, John was that proud one that said Jesus loved him more than everybody else. And maybe it wasn't pride, but maybe it was just revelation because he had seen the one who loved him that much. And so in writing his gospel, it's from a different take and a different beautiful place that, that speaks out of the glorified, finished work, complete glory of Christ in heaven. He writes John 1 right on the back of this encounter with the fullness of who God is and gives us context to how he says this. So this is where, you know, after that encounter, you can imagine the struggle to get the right words on paper. Right, like how do I, you know, like so he's saying things in the best way that he can bring to English language and Greek language at the time. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He had seen this in some incredibly mystical reality that he had stepped into. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not understood it or has not overcome it, depending on your version. Really important to see that, okay? The darkness has not overcome the light. The light overcomes. The darkness can't even understand the light. It might be that why some people at work often go, I don't know what it is about you. Because the darkness can't understand the light that is in you that was him, the light of all mankind that might be shining from who you are in this time. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist, not the same John that was writing it. He came as a witness testifying concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was, he was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came so that which was his own, to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. 
Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a human's will, or a husband's will, but born of God. And in verse 14, this whole thing comes together in this, it's like, okay, the word, the word, the he, the all this, the light, all of this. The word became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. This light is the source. It is him. It's the word. It's not just the logos written Bible word. It's the word that was from the beginning that the Bible word, the scripture word points to, gives us clarity on, gives us understanding of, but it's him that we're actually after. And he is the very light of mankind. And this is that light that as we behold him, our entire inner being is made light and darkness doesn't have place. This isn't a scripture going like, don't watch that, don't do that, right? These become these religious things that we plant into our world and culture, but it's actually saying, behold the light, and then what you see gets filtered by light and darkness doesn't get inside, therefore darkness doesn't live here, and therefore you shine and you glow in a way that the world goes, I don't understand that, but they want it and it's desirable. So here's what I wanna kinda dive into today is kinda like my three points or something to that effect. I don't do well with that, so if you're a note taker, I'm really sorry. Um, but you can try, it's all good. But I wanna talk about worldview today, okay? That would be like, to sum that up really simply is how you view the world is your worldview. Makes total sense, right? There's a lot to say on this and I'm not gonna dive into a deep, discussion of all the different worldviews, but I do wanna drill down on a couple that I think are very real and near to our hearts and lives right now and the season that we're living in. The first one that is obviously very prevalent in our entire world right now would be secular humanism worldview. I'm gonna lump a lot in under that category. That is everything that is like anti-God, away from scripture. We are either trying to base it all on science or all on your experience and your personal perspective of truth and what you can discover, this would fall under secular humanism or the secular worldview, okay? I'm not gonna park on that because I think we can all, we're here at church today, can pretty much go like, okay, that's not in alignment with God, right? The other two that I wanna talk about today, and it's not a perfect definition between the two, but I wanna separate them for clarity maybe in where we're at right now, is the difference between Christian worldview and biblical worldview. Because these are both very active realities that the church lives in very commonly. And I would define Christian worldview as viewing the world according to what we see around us on a Sunday morning, what we see around us on the news, according to those who would say, I'm a Christian and this is how I'm living. And you can actually build a worldview by your observation of those who are claiming Christianity and maybe living in a religious system, maybe living really free, but you've maybe decided to look at God and the world according to what you see in the community of believers around the world. And I would say that's not necessarily all the way wrong, but if you put too much stock in that, you're gonna find yourself really discouraged. Because if your view of the world is determined by the Christians you see around you, you're gonna get church hurt. 
you're gonna get disappointed. You're gonna say, wow, they're all hypocrites. Yes, because they're all being refined and sanctified just like you. Even this side of salvation, there is still work to be done in the human life, even those who claim Christ. And it's so hard when you know, a celebrity or a big name comes out with a big statement of faith and then the church gobbles down their throat and well, why are they still living like that then? You know, it's like, oh, because you became so perfect the day you said a prayer to Jesus that you get to stand, <laughs> you know, like, I'm sorry, but we get this idea that we get to then define where, and I believe that that's a Christian worldview where we have built a religious system or religious concept of how things ought to go and we then apply that on people's lives and it's extremely draining and not life-giving. It's very much a throwback to the Old Testament law where this is the situation of the Pharisees who knew God had his word, were given revelation from heaven, all of this stuff and built such a system of control and such a system of behavior that it actually over, like overshadowed the reality of what God had been saying to them all along and they created a system that was oppressive and destructive and there was no life in it and it actually created death. This was a Christian worldview, if you will. You could call it a Jewish worldview in that time before Christ, so that'd be hard, but this was a religious worldview that had been created and a system that came to the extent that when Christ in the flesh, the word became flesh and stood right in front of, of them, they killed him because they had created such a system of expectations, behaviors, and things that we do, and power and all that structure, that Christ came on the scene and they're like, that doesn't fit. That's offensive to the way we have decided to do things and we will not receive it. And it even says, and his own did not receive him. This was part of this crazy reality. His very own, his people, the Jewish people, we're like, mm, nope, and the Pharisees set this up and scripture writes this. You have this form of spirituality, but you deny its power. And this is this really interesting challenge that we can get so stuck in as the church in the way that we think things ought to go. And I think most often this expresses itself in actually kind of an overlap between Christian worldview and secular humanism has crept in to the church in this way because we've set up systems that we believe we know how it's supposed to work and how things are supposed to go. So when things don't go the way we think they ought to go, we get very upset because we've put ourselves at the center of our world. We've adopted the secular humanism and combined it with the religious and we've become like, oh my gosh, church didn't serve me today, so I don't know. Maybe I'll go somewhere else next week. Or uh, someone sat in my seat. Or I wish they would have done the song I like for worship. Or I don't like the preacher. Or we become, we say these things, you know, like in church going like, I don't know why church didn't serve me the way it was meant to today. And these are all mentalities that are extremely dangerous to the body of Christ because we now create this system that's like, serve me rather than serve him, and the problem instantly becomes, who in this room gets to get served? Because we can't possibly make everybody happy, so who's the one in the room that gets to get served the most? If it's not him, we're in a big problem. 
And so this becomes the danger of this Christian worldview, religious worldview that we all struggle with right here, big time. I'm like, I see people do stuff, I'm like, that's just wrong, you know. I get, we get in that moment, right? We judge, right? We're like, God, I repent, I'm sorry, you know. Because we think we have found the right way to do relationship with God. And that's humanism. That's not, I have surrendered my life to the Lordship of Christ and he is it. And he's the one that determines right, wrong, upside down and right side. And that's why we're in a world right now, I believe, that's completely confused about who they are. In the church and out of the church, we have confusion running rampant. We were talking between the service and Anne said, this Christian worldview, this religious worldview thing is absolutely like it's an absolute in the life of every kid that grows up in church. Is you have to grapple with somewhere in this thing, I've been raised in a certain system and a way and an expectation of how I should do things and it's very easy to cooperate with it, to keep your parents off your back, right? And miss the word who became flesh and dwelt among us and you can find yourself in this confusion going like, why are all these crazy people gathering on Sunday morning and saying that it's like they have like, they love God and I feel nothing and I have no encounter and I don't know him and I don't think I want to because everything I see is hypocritical because we've built, not intentionally and nobody's at fault. This is just a recognition to check our heart and say what and how am I seeing the world around me every day? And that's for every generation at any point. You can spend 80 years in the church and have to grapple with this point to say, when does it become more than a system that I follow and a per to a person that I know and that I've completely given my life to so that it's, so it no longer becomes God working for me, but me working for him. Like really how it's supposed to be in proper order. Like not him coming to serve my needs. And that's where we get all trapped in the lies of the enemy and he'll get in there and you know, you get this idea in your mind that the church and God and all of this is supposed to serve your needs and it's supposed to go a certain way because they said if you do this, then it's all gonna be better. And we, then crap happens, storms hit our lives and we get really like, oh, I don't know what to do and maybe God isn't good and maybe, you know, like, cause you've put a trust in a system or a mentality or a way and you're going like, that system failed you because somebody at church who's also broken like you did something that hurt you and now you go, well, I want nothing to do with God anymore. The problem is that you put a person in the place of God or a group of people in the place of God and allowed them to dictate who God is, which is totally a faulty way of thinking. Because God is not determined by how we do this. God is God from the beginning, unchanging, unending, and he's powerful and he loves you. Yay, it's really good news. Like, it's such good news to know that God loves you and even though you have stuff to work out, he's still after your heart and he's unchanged by the misbehavior of the people next to you. Praise God which gives you a whole different perspective and look at the person next to you rather than going, oh, I got hurt by them. And oh, I got hurt. You go like, oh man, I felt hurt because they probably have something that they're hurt about. And maybe we need to link arms together and love one another well and find the word together rather than being divided around this idea of Christianity. It's just, it's real, right? We all feel this stuff, right? Am I totally alone? I don't know. I just, I see it. I watch it. I feel it. I, I experience it. It's hard sometimes. You're like, no, nah, I'd rather just have space from that person because, 
you know, that's really complicated and really hard, right? And boundaries are good, all that, okay? I'm just saying, we oftentimes take the out because we got church hurt to leave fellowship, to leave community and to find, and then we complain that we're alone. And it's like, well, guess what? You're gonna get hurt if you're with people. The only perfect church out there is empty. You know what I mean? Like, the minute, the minute anybody shows up, it's slightly skewed and messed up. It's just real. So look at how messed up we are. How great. Like, this is, and that's good. I don't say that bad, but we're all being sanctified by His grace. Right? We are being made more like Christ every minute of every day so long as we're submitted to Him. It's not by default. I said a prayer. He's making me holy. No. He's calling you to holiness and asking for your heart to respond. All things work together, right? For good. We stop right there, right? All things work together. It's fine. You know, no, it says all things work together for good to those who, are, who love God and are called according to his purpose. There's a qualifier on that promise that says if you love him and you're walking according to his purpose, submitted to who he is, all things will work out for your good. Doesn't mean all the things will be good along the way. Real bad stuff will happen, guaranteed, ask the apostles, okay? Right, all of them, like all of them, really bad things are going away, that promise is not, they all worked out for their good because they loved God and walked according to his purpose. Same is true for you. If you decide to not love God and walk according to your own purpose, you can just destroy your life. And the bad stuff won't work together for your good. Does that make sense? Like that can destroy you and you can sit there and get mad at God because he promised to make it all work out for your good, but you didn't love him or walk according to his purpose. We are, there's, takes two to tango, right? Anyway, like I say this, teenagers, right? Anyway, so... Um, but it's truth, right? Like, we just kind of do the default, like, I got saved, I go to church, I'm getting fixed, right? And God just made me right, and so I'll just move on. No, like, there is a constant pursuit of the Word who became flesh, who is from the beginning and always will be. It's really cool, and this is the fun part. There's this really fun passage in James 1, 22, says, do not merely listen to the word. And I would say when you see the word, word in scripture, I kind of picture word world. Anybody know that with their kids? Word world where all the objects are made out of the letters that spell them like barn, you know, like and pig and all that, right? I picture word is Christ with like made out of like W-O-R-D, like I, it's, it's so synonymous that we're not looking at the Bible word and the Jesus word. It's like he is the word. And the Bible is this wonderful tool we have to see who he is, right? The details matter. I'm not setting the Bible aside to say, just pursue him. Like, you'll get lost if you try that, right? Like, he gave you his word to point you and aim you and steer you, right? So you learn to know things about him that are factual and detail and all of those things are really critically important, but you don't wanna miss him, right? The people that know me best can tell you the four things that are always in my left pocket, okay? It's part of knowing someone is to go like, what 
are the details. You know, like I have four things since high school that's always been in my left pocket. You're all wondering now, aren't you? Ask somebody that knows me. Anyway, um, but this is this thing we dig into scripture to find out the nitty gritty realities of who he is, but we don't wanna miss the one the man, the, the incarnate God who came to exist with us and know us and relate to us. This is this beautiful reality. James 1, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Okay, okay, we've heard this scripture before. I, I went over this with the youth on Wednesday. Sorry for the repeat, guys. That's all right, I'm sorry, but maybe I need to hear it twice. So, um, but looking in the mirror, how many have, any, have ever been running late to work or late to church on Sunday? Heaven forbid, right? Anyway, and you don't have much time in front of the mirror to get ready, but you know you at least have to do something, right? So you run in the bathroom, you're like, <laughs> you know, like you got to, and you bolt out and you get in the car and you're going like, oh no, I don't know that I really, you know, or your spouse looks over and goes, oh, you should have shaved. And you're like, <gasps> you know, like this is this idea that it's talking about. If you, if you aren't doing what you hear and not participate, and this isn't by like, just follow the rules. This is like digging in, leaning into the one who loves you, who you love and seeking out what does this look like? How do we do this? What, am I, what does my life ought to look like to be full of light? If you do this, okay, if you don't do this, it's like looking in the mirror real quick and go like, oh no, did I do my hair? Am I ready? You forget what you look like. The very next verse gives a lot of context to this and this would be our normal on a normal Monday or whatever day of the week, getting ready. The very next verse says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. It's the, it's the normal days where you have time in front of the mirror to check things out. You go like, wow, I really like how my hair went today. Or, ugh, right? It could be all kinds of different experiences, but if you spend enough time there looking you start to find the good, the bad, and the ugly and all the parts of it, right? You're like, oh my gosh, that's it, whatever, like for you know, teenagers or some of us that are still get them once in a while. Anyway, it's forever. Um, but it's those moments when you intently look into who Christ is and really lean in, you will find affirmation from God because he created you and he's done amazing things about you. You will also find correction from God. It's the part we don't like in church, you know, it's like, I don't wanna be corrected. I wanna be accepted. I wanna be, you know, celebrated. I am just, just love me for me and love me the way I am, yes. And no, because that starts to trickle right into another of the secular humanism worldviews that we're looking at across our culture right now that's getting really loud. Accept me, don't change me, celebrate me, let me be, and just tell me I'm awesome. That spirit trickles into the church and demands that everybody tell you what you wanna hear and make you feel good so you can walk out going, oh, church was so good today. But unless you've been made perfect completely and you're all done, correction is as important to your life as affirmation in 
your life for every day, regardless of how old you are, the ability to intently look into the word, the written and the person, and, be, and allow yourself to be corrected into righteousness, to walk and become more like him. If correction scares you to death, this thing is like you need to die to yourself again. It's the very journey and relationship with God is very much that, die to self. It's scary because then we have to let go of what we hold dear to. We have to let go of the things that we've depended on and we have to allow God to be our all in all. So yeah, that's terrifying to our flesh and it's a blessing to our spirit because we get free from the bondage of our flesh that we've always wanted to be free of. But cooperating with correction and repentance is like the greatest gift of God we've ever had. It's like better than any good prophetic word is the gift of repentance. When we see something in the mirror, as we gaze into the word, when we see something that's off and we go, oh, God, you wanna fix it. That's not like, oh, I'm broken. That's the Christian worldview that says, oh, oh, I should be ashamed of myself, I'm so bad. No, like the biblical worldview says, wow, God, you pointed that out. David prayed this. He's like, Lord, search me and know me. Find any wicked way in me. It was a prayer of worship going like, God, I don't wanna stay like this. I wanna be made like you by the correction and, the, the, and of, like, of your word, of what's, like, what I see when I look into your word, and I go, that doesn't look like who I'm supposed to be. Yes, change it. Allow him to work in your life. It's not, a, it's not another task of religion to be like, oh, you know, you're like, no, I just need to submit that part of my life to the Lord. And we, hopefully every season of life offers multiple areas of our life that we go, oh my gosh, I never knew that wasn't submitted. And if we ever think we've got to the end of that, we're deceived. You can be 85 years old and be like, oh, there's an area I need to submit to the Lord right now. You can be 14 and go, there's an area of my life I can submit to the Lord that he doesn't have a place for. And I'm living on a Christian worldview, beating myself up, believing that I'm failing because I think I'm supposed to do it right to make Jesus happy with me. But a biblical worldview would say, no, 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 you submit that to me and I'll take that just like I'll take all the rest and make you like myself. This is the beautiful gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we're not after, we're not trying to earn our way to heaven. We're simply allowing him to be Lord of our life and take the helm and take control and recognizing who we serve and who he doesn't. He is not our servant, but guess what? He loves us enough that when we give him something he takes it and returns it with a beautiful, beautiful, restored gift, something. I mean, most people, and you hear it say, your greatest gift or calling is on the other, uh, other side of your greatest struggle. What do you do with that struggle? If that's the very thing standing in the way of what God has called you to do, you can either try to fight through the, the struggle or submit it to the Lord and let him bring you through it. And that might mean going over the mountain. That's not saying like, oh, it's just gone. It's like, no, I will with God in faith, take the journey, hard as it might be, submitted to his way to make me holy. It's a powerful reality that takes so much weight, so much pressure, so much expectation. 
off of what we do. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 says, such confidence we have through Christ before God. We're not plebes before the Father, okay? We're not just like, oh, I'm just a servant of the Most High God. We are just a servant of the Most High God who loves us and gave himself up for us. And it's this crazy, beautiful relationship that comes out of it. And in this is our confidence. We stand firm because our confidence is not, it says, in ourselves. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. This is the one, him, the word made flesh, the spirit, who is the word. It's not just the letter and it's not just the spirit. It's the both, because it's all of who he is and we can't take him apart and say, I just worship the word, the written part of Christ, or I worship the spirit part of Christ. It's like, no, this is all part and parcel. You get the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, word. It's all eternal, and you can't separate them. So we submit ourselves completely to all of those, and that's where life comes from. Hmm. Verse seven continues, now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, this is good, so that the Israelites could not even look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, which it was, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? This is this crazy thing. The Israelites couldn't even look intently at Moses. We're called to look intently at Christ because of what he did on the cross. And there was glory on Moses even without the blood of Christ. How much greater is the blood of Christ and the glory of this side of the cross that is so hard for us on this side of the cross to understand the difference of what came, but how much more glorious. We like to look at the old stories Say, wow, Moses, he was, wow. There was so much glory back then and parting the sea, all that. It's like, he, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness, not condemnation, but brings correction, brings repentance into his people and draws them in to knowing the word because we love him. You do it because you're in love and you recognize that he loves you. It's what John writes out of is like he saw the fullness of Christ and how loved he was in heaven and spoke of it as though it was here because he had a revelation of something crazy beautiful. And so we don't do things by obligation. We don't do things because, oh, that's how it's supposed to go. We do it because we're loved and we love him back like a gigapet. <laughs> right, Airborne? I told him I'd say it, right? There's context for that that I won't go into, but... We do, things, we do things so joyfully out of love that we would never do by obligation well. We can try, 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 try and burn ourselves out so fast and that is the religious worldview. The Christian worldview is I gotta fit in this system and make it all work or you find the one and you'd be amazed how you fit in the body of Christ when you're in love with the one who is the body of Christ and represents it. He formed you in your mother's womb from the beginning of time. 
He knew you. He knows best what you need to be made like the fullness of who you were called to be and meant to be. This is this journey, but keeping and setting your mind on a biblical worldview that sets aside the minors and lives in the majors going, Jesus, I just want you and I won't get caught up in the details and the processes that will kill me. And I believe that's what's coming and I wanna challenge you to consider this reality. I work with an incredible group of young people who are desperately seeking the genuine article of who God is and what it's gonna look like for their generation. An older generation, it's gonna be offensive to you what it looks like. Embrace it, okay? It's a beautiful thing that God's gonna do in this generation, but it's gonna be unique because every generation's expression of what God's gonna do is gonna be unique and probably bug those that went before. Jesus came on the scene and it offended everything in the previous system. And they missed it because they wouldn't embrace it. One of the most beautiful things I saw was 1972. I watched the documentary, The Jesus Music. Anybody seen this? It's really good because um, it's like my entire childhood in a documentary. I'm like, I grew up in church. So Christian music and how it came, but Explo 72, 1972, Dallas, a bunch of hippie kids from all over the place gather together for this big rock and roll concert and a bunch of stuff. And much of the church was looking going, oh, that's a disgusting display. And blah, like, that's not God. And there's no organ. And what are they doing with drums and electric guitars? Like, it really was, like really truly was like repelled by much of the body of Christ that had gotten a Christian worldview that had actually restricted them from seeing what Christ, the word in the flesh, wanted to do in a generation. And in some ways, the church historically missed it on that opportunity because there was so much pushback, so much against like, nope, 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 we're not gonna let it do it. The Jesus people movement had to come out of rebellion not blessing. And that's a dangerous place to look at what we do now in this generation, in this culture. It's like, and I loved what I saw in that documentary. It was Explo 72. All these young people are there. And who do I see them interviewing in the middle of the crowd? Billy Graham, probably, gosh, would have been 65, 60 to 70 years old at that time. Somewhere in there, he was already far along. Maybe not that old. I don't know. 50s, 60s. He was way beyond that generation Okay, and he's there interviewing and he's going, I don't know what, I don't know how old he was, sorry. But he just said, what? Would he have been about 60 then? Wow, yeah, he's up there. So anyway, they're interviewing him at Explo 72. No, I'm saying now compared to 72, he was 60. You had 50, that's 110 now. That's what I'm saying. That's right. Should I just move on? Okay. All right. Can we strike that from the recording? Anyway, um, I love it. All right. But they're interviewing Billy Graham, who was definitely part of the generation that was rejecting what God was wanting to do in that time. But he showed up and said, I heard and I want to see for myself what God's going to do in this generation. And the blessing that followed him and that generation is evident in the earth today because most of the growing, alive, full churches in America today are being led by Jesus people movement saved in that time. What, was, what is coming, right? I know, I don't know how to, but 
Do you feel what that looks like? And what's sitting on this side of the room and all over your city and everywhere they are, regardless of what their lives look like in this particular moment, there's an opportunity to believe and to pray and not join the lies the enemy wants to say about, oh, it just doesn't look like how we did church. Just doesn't look like our system and our way, right? But how do we look at a generation and go, okay, if the music changes, will we celebrate it or tolerate it? If the methods change, I'm, I'm personally, I'm 40 and I'm struggling with what this could look like, okay? Because I have my ways, right? We all have this. But are we ready to not just not toss the majors? I'm not saying we toss doctrine and real theology and all the truth and all of that. I'm saying we toss the particulars that aren't grounded in the one, the word. Does that make sense? And we major on the majors and we celebrate the majors as they come forth out of this generation because it's gonna happen. Whether we accept it and celebrate it or not, they'll either do it out of blessing or they'll do it out of rebellion. I don't believe that's a real struggle of this house because this has always been a house that champions the next generation. But this is a, like, America global call for the church to go, okay, we need to know the word so well, the person, the word so well, that when he shows up on the next generation and looks different than we expect, we can embrace it and celebrate it and cheer them on with tons of wisdom, tons of experience, but not trying to make them fit a form that isn't theirs any more than your generation wanted it, right? So stand up with me. Whoa, there's so many things to say. Um, some of the hard parts is we may have to continue to trade our worldview for God's worldview on a regular basis, not a one-time shift. Okay, Ben, that was good. I think I'll think different now, but like, this isn't every day as much as we need sanctification and more righteousness. Like we've been made righteous, but we are working to this place as God works in our hearts and perfects us and makes us more like him. This is an every, every day, every week reality to go, okay, God, what, what part of my worldview has gotten locked in a rut that isn't you, that isn't your spirit, that's not what you're breathing life on because I don't wanna become a guardrail for a generation when there's plenty of road for them to run on, if that makes sense. We don't wanna restrict them to one lane when it's an eight lane highway, they could be cruising over the next 20 years. So we wanna believe for that in a major way. And so I think all of this, I think probably the most powerful and kind of where I wanna go ministry wise today and open this up, the most powerful reality of correcting and adjusting your worldview before heaven and catching what seeing what God sees is it has a powerful release that strikes fear, anxiety, depression, worry, has no place to stand when you begin to see things the way God sees them. When you see things the way his son has set them up and how he's moving and what he's doing, you suddenly go like, wait, if he's not worried, if he's not afraid, if he's not depressed, it can be an indicator if this stuff creeps up in your life, that there's something that has a place in your heart that says, I'm leaning on this more than the one who's not afraid, who's not worried. And I believe there's a grace in this house and we see it happen frequently among our youth, depression and suicide and anxiety and fear breaking off and falling off. This is something that doesn't, it's not a magic trick, it's a cooperation and a coming to the Lordship, surrendering it to Him going, okay, I'm done being in charge of this area of my mind that I've let rule. God, I want your 
view. I want your thoughts. I want your heart to be implanted in me that it would set aside everything that plagues me. And I think it's, it's not coincidence that this is one of the greatest struggles of the church right now is fear, anxiety, stress, depression, suicide. Are you kidding me? This is not what's meant for the people of God. And that's not condemnation. That's a call to righteousness, okay? Don't, this is a different gospel. This is a different ministry, a greater ministry of the Holy Spirit that doesn't condemn you, but it draws forth and says, will you come and surrender this area of your heart, your mind for every generation? This is real, but it cannot have a grip on the body of Christ because it doesn't show the light the way it's meant to be shown. So many areas. So wherever that is, and it's not an exclusive call to today, but I would love to call those forward today to get prayer if that's a big one for you or any other area that you're struggling with that's going, man, my worldview's got me locked up with this, 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 and I wanna reset, see like God sees. We wanna pray for you. We'll have some youth staff and our prayer team up here and some of our students might jump in and partner up with our youth leaders so because they're minors and we do, but we want them to pray for you. Be vulnerable, be real, okay? But we call you forth to this, to see stuff fall off. It really is. It's I submit my life to the Lord who I serve. And good gifts come from a good father every single time. There's freedom in this house. So God, we thank you for what you wanna do in this house today, God, in this moment. We worship you, we give you glory, God, in the midst of every trial and tribulation and challenge, God, we trust you more than we trust our circumstances, God. We lay them at your feet with the parts we don't understand and we say, God, they're yours to understand. Shine your light here, that I would be made more like you. So God, we bless this people, this congregation, this body. We thank you for this generation, young and old, that's alive in this hour of history. And we thank you for it, God, that you ordained it and there's purpose all over it. And we are not afraid because what you have said overrides what we experience and what we feel because we believe you more even than what we see. So let us see like you see so we don't miss it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. We do invite you to come forward. Come right up here. Don't waste time. Yay, Jesus, come on. Ministry team, if you can gravitate up here and um, come get prayer. If you gotta go, you gotta go. Bless you. Go in peace and power. Yeah, adult ministry team as well. Students and youth leaders, come on up here. Come get them, get prayer. There's fire on the altar.